You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Hello and welcome back to the TV Obsessive podcast. This is episode eight. I am Ryan Kirksey, writer and contributor to tvobsessive.com. And I am joined as always by Cameron Crane, executive editor, tvobsessive.com. And Cameron, I know you're from Detroit. So based on what we're talking about today, how much do you hate the Lakers and the Celtics? Yeah. Sorry to say, yeah. Um, I feel like I should clarify a little bit. I mean, I am from Detroit. This has come up weirdly a lot here on the podcast. So I just want to tell people um, it, it, it coincides kind of interestingly with the Pistons question in a way. So I lived in the Detroit area um, from the time I was born, 1980 until 1992. Um, and then moved to Ohio. But yeah, so my entry point into basketball really kind of was largely as a fan of the Pistons here in the 80s. And you're absolutely right that that meant hating the Celtics and the Lakers because they were like constantly in the way one way or the other, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it's weird. In retrospect, I don't so much. And, you know, like maybe it's in part because I, um, I moved to Ohio and then I ended up becoming a Cavs fan. And then like, I tried to be both a Pistons fan and a Cavs fan. And that worked for a while until the Pistons played the Cavs in the playoffs. I think it was like 2007. Yeah. And uh, I realized that I was just wholeheartedly rooting for the Cavs. So, um, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of interesting on, on that front. Did you mention any, did you tell me before you were a Celtics fan? No, no, no. Okay, I don't know where I got that. So I, I grew up in, in Houston and have been a Rockets fan for as long as I can remember. But my earliest basketball memories are us realizing that, because I think it was 81 and 86, that, oh, it's just impossible to beat the Celtics. We faced them in the finals both years. I was really young, trying to see, oh, well, you know, we have a chance to win this thing. But, no, it's impossible to beat this Goliath that is the – the Celtics. Uh, you uh, so I was reminded of my earliest basketball memories. You had a lot of pain there, the Rockets, because yeah, yeah. because you just like the Buffalo Bills of the NBA. <laughs> Buffalo I mean, Bills brings up brings up another piece of pain for Houston fans, but that's that's a different show. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, fair, fair enough. I'm just thinking like because you made the Rockets made the finals a couple times in the '90s too, as I remember, right? We we won. So this is my also basketball heartbreak. So I have. For most of my life, lived in the Houston area. There are two years of my life that I lived overseas. My dad's job took us overseas, and we lived in Europe. The two years that I was over there were the two years that the Rockets won the championship. So Gosh. I was unable to be in town, didn't go to the parade, didn't see the games, none of that. So that was so I, I was still suffering from that thirty years later. Yeah, that's a bummer. This is where, where interestingly, I'm going to go ahead and do this as a tangent uh, that you they put me in mind that I think it was in 2007 the Cavs went to the finals and uh a loss to the spurs it just so happened that i took a, a trip to france and uh it's the only time i've been to europe it was a great trip it was awesome but we had no tv we we're like in this little villa in southern france and all of that and because of the um way the timing worked out i was going to miss the first four games of the nba finals and the Cavs were in the finals you know <clears throat> but i thought well I can come back and in time for game five, presuming there is a game five. And I sort of like black myself out on the news, you know, which was very easy to do. We didn't even have a TV or anything like that. And um, <clears throat> as we were going to the airport to fly back to the States in Perpignan, France, um, you know, we're waiting for the plane, we're in the gift shop or whatever. And I looked down at the newspaper and on the front page of the newspaper, <laughs> is Tony Parker holding the MVP <laughs> trophy because the Spurs had swept the Cavs and I didn't get to see a single game of the series. Yeah, that was the what's often referred to as the worst supporting cast to ever make an NBA, NBA Finals, all, all on the shoulders of LeBron James. Yeah, I mean, it's like here, I, I'm lamenting that I didn't get to see my team lose terribly. You know what I mean? They're like, but still, it was just kind of like, oh, man, we didn't even win a game. And of course, Tony well, Parker, very big in France. 
Exactly. exactly. Well, we're bantering about basketball because we're going to we are going to get into the first episode of Winning Time today, uh, a show on HBO about the rise of the Lakers, Lakers dynasty in the 1980s. Um, so we're going to touch on that later and, and we'll spoil some of that as it as it comes up. But uh, as we normally like to do, we've got a few other things to touch on, some things in the news that caught our eye this week. Uh, we want to just touch on a few things, a kind of a light news week. We'll get to a a couple of things. And then uh, just in a non-spoiler way, what we're watching, what's uh, caught our eye on on the screens over the past uh, seven days or so. So why don't we jump into any news that's come up? Cameron, anything caught your eye? Um, Not a whole lot. I mean, I know we have a few things here we're planning to hit on. Um, we're recording here on August 8th. It was on Friday, I think, that there was a meeting between the WGA and the NPTP. Um. I guess we can hit on that. Not much came of it. Right. My understanding is the they were saying during the meeting they wanted to not say anything to the press, like it's supposed to be confidential. And then some reports started coming out, like the um AMPTP was saying things or like leaking things or something like this. And then there's an official response from the WGA chairman. So this is not super promising, like even those broad strokes, right? Right. Um, but I guess from what I've read, the there was some indication the PTP was potentially willing to negotiate on some of the AI stuff. It was maybe a little encouraging. Um, and maybe something about pay scales to some degree, but that they said during that meeting that um the demands about maintaining writers' rooms and re, um, residuals on streaming or non-starters. And those mm -hmm. are kind of the big issues. So I don't know. Um, and Grizzly, I think we're kind of in for the long haul here. Yeah. And I wonder what the long haul is. We do kind of speculate about this, it seems like, every week. And I think that SAG has, has pretty much signaled that they're going to do their thing once they feel confident that the WGA is moving forward on whatever they're agreement will be i don't know if they're planning for those dominoes to fall in, in, in that order but yeah this this may still be months and months ahead of us yeah mm -hmm. and i don't know i've seen you know just thinking about things i've seen a couple of different people speculating the residual thing is interesting because there's a question of well how do they calculate this with streaming and i understand that's complicated but you could you could you could figure out a way to do it even if it was imperfect and more straightforward than it should be, right? Like you don't actually necessarily have to correlate views to dollars in a way that's precisely accurate or something like that. They could do it based on views. I don't know. That's a big sticking point, but I've seen multiple people speculate that um, it's possible that the streamers are, well, one of two things. They don't want to be transparent about their data, either because they're doing way better than people think, or they're doing way worse. And I, I don't know, I, I find myself increasingly worried that it is the latter, and that they don't want to um, let Wall Street know uh, what their numbers actually look like, Yeah, <laughs> and that they're afraid to do that. Yeah. Um, and insofar as uh, coming to some kind of deal about um, paying something like residuals for, for streaming, I think that would have to involve a certain level of transparency. And uh, I don't know, that, that has me a bit worried. But yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up with the streamers because there's something we've talked about a couple of times uh, that I wanted to segue to that was in the news the few, past few days. Well, we've talked about this this rebranding that HBO did um, from HBO to HBO Max to now just Max, that's their streaming service. And so Warner Brothers, the parent company, came out this week and said that in the three-month quarter that included the rebranding period, that they lost almost 2 million subscribers to that service, right? You had to move from one app or one you know, piece of, of content platform to another when they moved everything to Max and they lost almost 2 million subscribers when they did that. Is this surprising to you that, you know, removing everything and having people go to a totally new platform where they lost this many people? Mm, I don't know. I mean, it's not super surprising to me because you can count me in that number. Yeah. Um, 
for whatever that's worth. <laughs> that's trying to make a thing out of it. You know, there's there's an inconvenience to it. I thought it was interesting how they timed it. Um, as I recall, they timed it like right before the finales of Barry in Succession. So like, hey, if you're watching these shows, oh, well, you've got to switch for the for the finale. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. HBO is interesting in general because they do have the cable network. I have no idea what their numbers are like when it comes to premium cable subscriptions you know that that gets lost in this yeah to the extent that um you know it does really feel like we exited the age of cable tv and entered the age of streaming but cable still exists it's just not the same and it's not a lot of people's primary source for television but i don't know i'm i'm, I'm realizing now i want to look into the numbers on that maybe we'll you know return to this down the line how many people still watch cable yeah, yeah. Because I think it's it, it may be more than we realize in a certain way, you know. Um, yeah, if I remember correctly from from reading this, and I can I can sit, we can post the link here to the article that that talks about this news that came out is there's still dozens of millions of people that were still signed up for the cable linear HBO, right? So they still have that really strong. I think foundation of of people that pay for that service either as part of their cable package or sort of standalone thing. So this was really just in the the rebrand of the app that I think someone confused us that they were going to remove the HBO name from it and and go straight to this max uh, this max platforms. So yeah, so this is just streaming that we're talking about here. They mm-hmm. they have apparently a pretty healthy foundation of those that still subscribe to the cable side of HBO. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because Warner Brothers has that, and they also have, um, you know, of course, the film division and all of that, you know. Um, but the, the the move towards we're going to focus on the streaming app, we'll just have to see what happens. I, yeah. I, I really don't know because it does seem like there are some indications that you, it's not going to work to flood the market with all of these different streaming services and yeah. there might be some big changes on the other side of this you know yeah i think you're right I just found it interesting that they they've uh couldn't carry that many people over particularly as you you said there was a time where if you wanted to stick with their flagship shows they had on in the spring then you had to make that move and apparently yeah. a lot of people a lot of people didn't well but see here's we can also get into our weird little like media bubble or something like this. <laughs> yeah so we're like oh but it's barry it's succession everyone wants a succession no they don't yeah. you know what i mean like the the most viewed show in the u.s is like ncis or something right. like this it's, right. it's just right. it's, the numbers are dwindle things like yeah. uh, uh these hbo shows so yeah, I think uh, I think the highest viewed episode of succession still had something like less than four million people that that watched it <laughs> Right, I like probably more people are watching Jeopardy, but you're gonna, we've, we've yeah. been on the Jeopardy beat a bit, so yeah. the, uh, there was a little bit of news on that. Um, this week. yeah, and I've been driving the, the Jeopardy train, I don't know why, maybe it's because it's 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 my, my favorite game show, and I'm invested in its success with this post Alex Trebek, post pandemic, post strike situation that going on. But updating something we talked about last week. The Tournament of Champions, sort of their key players, came out and said, we're not participating in this show at all. If you have recycled, rebranded questions, we don't have the writers involved. We want to stand in solidarity to them. But now the producers have said, we are going to go ahead with a season that uses some recycled content. Not only recycled questions, but recycled contestants on the show. So they're going to bring back people from seasons 37, 38, 39 that lost and put them against each other with old questions that have been used before. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was kind of interesting. It, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a cool gimmick in a way. I'll give them that. It's kind of like the second chance tourney, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I think it also is strategically kind of smart on their part because um, you might imagine new contestants saying, "Oh, you know, wait, wait, we're not going to do this either." You know, like we're going to be in solidarity. But people who who were on before and lost might be a little bit more likely to go ahead and do it. I guess. I I, I don't know. I, I, they're probably going to get enough people to do it. You know, I, I dug into a couple of things about this, and I found one interesting quote from a producer who said, we didn't feel like it was fair to new contestants to the show to put them through 
recycled questions. And they made it this thing like, you know, it's this, I mean, it is an honor to be on Jeopardy, but if we're going to have brand new contestants, they deserve the writers there giving them new questions. And so they sort of made that we're driving the decision of using old questions and old, old contestants. And they found enough to make at least half a season to, to do it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't really think that. <laughs> yeah, we'll that, see. Unfair to new contestants. Like, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I did see that, that they're maybe going to do Celebrity Jeopardy, or at least they're still trying to do Celebrity Jeopardy. Celebrity um, Jeopardy was written and finished, at least the 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 part that involved the writers before the strike. Yeah, but I'm wondering who the celebrities are who are going to be on it. Yeah, um, that's that's a good question. I, I don't know who would. You know, I, I don't know the bylaws and 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 points of the you know the the agreement that doesn't the would or would not allow them to participate in a show like this. But it'd be interesting to see who they who they could get. Yeah, I mean, I think as I understand it, which is not perfectly, so people listening shouldn't like take my word for this by any means. You can do your own research. As I understand it, I think that um, even actors on the strike could potentially do it. From what I've read, yeah, I could be wrong about that. Um, whether they'd be motivated to do it, whether they yeah. want to do it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Like, who's <laughs> going to, who wants to do it? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, well, we had last week, we had a, a trio of people that we uh, said farewell to. One more I just wanted to touch on um, this week. You, you've been a Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul watcher, I know, um, in, in years past. And uh, we lost a really great actor, Mark Margulies, who played Hector Salamanca. He of the wheelchair and, and bell that uh, became famous for. I don't know. Think of a better, better actor, actress who did more with fewer words than than uh, Mark Margulies. I think it was pretty, pretty, pretty incredible what he was able to do without ever saying a word in that show. Yeah, well, I mean, he did have some lines in, in Better Call Saul, though, right? Better Call Saul, better, yeah. in the be beginning. Um, but yeah, uh, no, it's really, it, it was really kind of touching to see some of the tributes on social media from Ryan Cranston and Bob Odenkirk and others, you know, um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what, how much more to say, about, but I, I certainly, he was, he did a whole bunch of other stuff, of course, also, but his performance as Hector Salamanca, as you say, it was, was super impressive. And so far as he managed to convey so much when mostly it was without speaking, you know, it was ringing a bell, it was facial expressions and, and yeah, so it's a real, kind of real loss there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's pivot a little bit into things we are watching currently. Um, we've talked about there's some things on the horizon, but we're, I don't know, are we in a lull period right now? Have you found anything new to watch uh, over the past week? So let's stick with some of the things you have been before. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of a law we're in other than I'm just thinking like, well, I mentioned these things on the podcast already, you know, um, Justified, which is ongoing, another episode tonight, Foundation, which comes out on Fridays, Winning Time, of course, which we're going to dig into the first episode that premiered on Sunday. So I'm watching all of those things. Um, and uh, I've been continuing on um, watching Evil, um, which, you know, I just, I didn't watch when it was airing. And, I'm kind of been binging it. Yeah. Well, my version of this, which takes weeks. So, <laughs> what about you? What have you been watching, man? Yeah, I've, uh, I think I've mentioned a couple of times that I'm I'm looking forward to the Ahsoka show coming out on Disney Plus the end of this month. Um, so, in doing so, I want to do something which I've not done before, which is go through Star Wars Rebels, so the, the famous Dave Filoni animated series from the 2000 teens that aired for for four seasons and i will tell you something if you go on x or twitter or whatever it is these days and ask for information or what to look out for what are the episodes you should watch on star wars rebels you are going to find a whole hive of people that are just fanatics about about this show i had somebody send me a spreadsheet of the most important episodes, the details from those, the time of each one, sort of if I had a, if I had a day to watch, if I had a couple of weeks to watch, if I had a month to watch, sort of broken down. And so so you, you, they are, there are some fanatics to the show, but I'm, I'm enjoying Rebels so far as I prepare for ah Ahsoka. But uh, that's perhaps not surprising that there are some, some really uh, diehard Star Wars fans out there. Yeah, I, I think we knew that. But so are, are you are you trying to watch all of it or are you taking some of this guidance and just kind of like kind of trying to pop into what they're saying is important? 
I am trying to go through all of it. It's four seasons. Um, two of the seasons have 15 episodes. Two of them have 22. But, you know, they were on whatever the Disney Channel. So they're 21, 22 minutes each. So not not too much of a, a burden. So I'm going to try to get through as much of that as I possibly can before I think August uh, 23rd or 26th when Ahsoka comes out. So yeah, it, it, it's a fun little show with some interesting um philosophy and interesting look at some characters that you know a lot of people are familiar with so if you haven't, haven't checked it out it's it's a nice easy easy binge if you like star wars and then um the other thing that i got caught on to now this one um a, a lot of times I, I take your recommendations of, of things to watch and I add them to my list i have one that that my son has turned me on to okay now my son who is quite the cinephile uh loves simon Pegg and nick frost movies so Shaun of the dead the world's end hot fuzz he loves those movies so he's just like grasping for is there ever going to be more of them and in looking for this he found on amazon prime a show called truth seekers with nick frost as the lead uh, a little bit of simon Pegg, but it's about a couple of guys who sort of moonlight as ghost hunters and it's just one season eight episodes really fun british humor um you know if you like those movies uh it, it is quite an entertaining and and funny look at their style of 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 humor so if you're in a simon Pegg and nick frost uh, sort of desert looking for some of their content it's a it's quite a quite a funny show we're about three or four episodes in right now awesome <clears throat> yeah no I, I feel like i feel like i've heard of that before and i haven't watched it how long did that come out do you know so it came out in 2020 one season and then amazon prime canceled it so there's there's no yeah. more it's just the eight episodes but uh but it made it if you just sort of stack them all up they're about 30 to 35 minutes each you basically got a long a new long simon Pegg and nick frost movie and it's and it's pretty funny well yeah I'm, I, I i enjoyed uh sean of the dead in particular quite a lot when it came out i mean it's still good i think i haven't watched it in quite some time but when it first came out, there was something really kind of striking. I think it was on the early edge of um, some of the stuff that was playing with zombie tropes a little bit. Yeah. You know, like I, it's the first zombie comedy I remember. And there have been other zombie comedies since, for sure. Santa Cola Rita died. Exactly. On TV show, but then also. Exactly. Long, so. All right, cool. Well, so. We're going to dig into winning time, I guess. I'd love to. Ready for that? Uh, all right. So as per usual, I'm going to take uh, just a quick little break here, like a few seconds. Uh, and on the other side, we're going to start talking about winning time. Season two, episode one premiered um, two days ago. Right. So if you're not up to speed, uh, be aware that on the other side of our little break here, uh, there will be spoilers for winning time. Season one, sure, and also the first episode of uh, season two. <clears throat> All right, well, so let's pick up with talking about winning time. Um, Perhaps we should end briefly on, on season one. Um, general thoughts about the show? Yeah, I, I think that, that, that'd be good just to kind of give a, a, a reset for what this show is. It is, I think it, it's technically branded a sports biography um, and it, it documents basically the decade of the 1980s, or we believe it's going to document the entirety of the 1980s decade of the Los Angeles Lakers from season one, which was the uh, the rookie season of Magic Johnson and their victory over the Philadelphia 76ers and his rookie season. They won the NBA Finals that year. And then it looks like, from what we can tell in this season, that it's picked up um, after that and it's going to cover a period of the next, looks like, three or four seasons. Um, but whereas season one was documenting Magic Johnson, his rookie season, conflicts with Captain Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's sort of getting into the twilight of his career, Dr. Jerry Buss, who just purchased the team, and it's dealing with not only the dynamics of running that team, but his own family dynamics, and then just sort of this miracle story of that team battling through a lot of things, including an injury to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 
and Magic Johnson playing center in game six of the NBA Finals. They win. It's the, sort of this magical Cinderella season. And so now it's picking up. So what does the team do after such a phenomenal run through the league and a, a, a championship win? Um, so, yeah, so the season sort of s- sets there or starts there. But, you know, as we talked about, that's not actually the first thing we see in this first episode of the of the uh of the second season you want to comment on what uh what we what we saw there <clears throat> the first episode of the second season or the first season what are you trying to set me up for uh th- yeah this episode that aired on sunday it doesn't yeah, start right, right, on right, the championship, okay. right so the um yeah we start we start with uh 1984 and leading in the 1984 um final so game one right so yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I think that as you say, it seems like the setup's going to be that will circle back around to that because they start with the aftermath of game one and right. um, coming out to the bus and um little speech from Pat Riley and all of that. And then they go back four mm-hmm. years and pick up more or less where season one left off, or we're we're going into the following season now you um so i do think that's kind of interesting because game um season one really took its time working through that first season um and now with season two we've actually got fewer episodes but it looks like they're going to cover a greater time span so we're going to go through 1982 um 1984 and then i don't know what might come after that we'll speculate about that um a little bit ultimately but um what do you think about the show in in general? You, know, you were mentioning so like the end of season one, they win the championship. Yeah. I actually was recently uh, watched a video of the actual people after they won that championship. Have you done this recently, like since the show came out? No, I've not. I've not done that specifically. But tell me more about it. So it's like this is the actual footage. You can find this on YouTube of them uh, awarding the championship to the Lakers, to Jerry Buss, the, the real Jerry Buss, you know, and, um, and then they go and they cut to the interview with Magic for the MVP and, and all of that. Pat Riley is, is in this footage as well. I mean, the biggest thing that was striking to me was when you watch the show, it, it has such of a style and a vibe of that early 80s, late 70s, you know, um, kind of thing going on. But it's, it's actually really part of what I enjoy about the show a whole lot. And you've got John C. Riley's Jerry Buss, which I think is is fabulous. This is part of why I was looking yeah. at the footage, though, right? It was like, okay, well, what was Jerry Buss really like in, you know, 1979, 1980? It's pretty similar. Like, he's dressed like that in the, yeah. Yeah. In, in the actual uh, the footage and, and all of that. Um, I think that this show, one of the things it does well, and part of it is the cinematography, part of it is just sort of how it sets its characters up with a backdrop that, that is very accurate in terms of the period that we're dealing with in the early 1980s. But it's a good job sort of reflecting the time period that we are in, right? So there's sort of the early 1980s, Los Angeles, right? We're about to get into the heart of. I mean, like not only Showtime Lakers, but I mean, big time Hollywood, cocaine problems, you know, all, all this stuff going on. I, you know, there's some really cool stuff out there. Um, if you want a fun YouTube video to watch, go look at Marvin Gaye singing the national anthem at the 1983 NBA All-Star Game in Los Angeles. And this is like the definition of early 1980s cool. I mean, like in one building at one time, right? And I just sort of get that same vibe with this show. It's like, this is the epicenter of the world for, for a few years. And they do a good job. I mean, obviously there's some fictionalized pieces of this, which I know we're going to talk about, but but um, they're sort of capturing the essence of what it was like probably back in LA in the, in the early 80s. I think they've done a really good job of that so far. Yeah, I wonder if that'll be in the show. Could be right. The the, the, the vibe, the, the feel. <laughs> it could be right. The, the the feel of it. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about that. I, I find it really interesting how it's shot, and part of me wants to, I don't know, nerd out in some way about how they did this technically. 
which is beyond me, but also I realize they're using some kind of filter or something at this point, right? Um, but it's still striking to me because I mean the I mean precisely that filter, right? If people aren't actively paying attention to this, I really think it plays a role in terms of how the thing feels. It doesn't yeah. look like that footage I was just mentioning. Like you can go pull up real footage, real news footage and things like that. Right. That's grainier, you know. And the quality of this is is um better than that. It's not that grainy as the actual footage, but they have purposefully made it sort of grainy. So I, one of the first things that struck me about the show is just it looks different than like everything else on TV that I'm watching coming out, you know, the past few years or, or right now. And that feeds into how it feels different also. Is that something that, that stood out to you also? Yeah, and, and I imagine, you know, as you said, if you're not just comparing it side by side with actual footage, I imagine you're watching this thing thinking, okay, if I just had set up a camera in the Lakers practice in 1981, you know, this is what it would look like, right, when I came home and watched the watch the footage. They, they just do, I think, a really strong job of capturing what the feel was like then, and obviously you and I watched yeah television news and and sports in the in the early 80s we get that sense of yeah th this must have been what it was like if i was actually watching this thing in real time happening um but they at the same so, time yeah they're playing with it i, I think this is yeah great. i mean the biggest thing i want to say about this show i mean i'm kind of presuming people listening have watched the show but if anyone hasn't the biggest thing i would want to say about the show is i just find it to be so fun it's like the most fun thing to watch to me the past couple of years um, and I think this is a big part of it. But I was going to say, yeah, they, they they also kind of seamlessly integrate some actual footage mm -hmm. with stuff that they shot for the show. The style of how they present the um, characters in the show and the casting is really amazing to the extent that, I mean, the, the level to which people look like the actual people that they can... yeah kind of jump between um actual footage of basketball from <laughs> 1980 and something that they shot for the show and, and you and you hardly even notice i mean um yeah i will say that not not only john c Riley playing jerry bus but the actor playing magic johnson the actor playing Kareem abdul jabbar I, I mean there there are many ways and perhaps it's the way this shot it's almost uncanny how much they look like their their counterparts. You know, you sort of get away with that when you're not doing everything in 4K and you're not putting them up against one another. But it's 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 pretty striking how well they've done with all that. It really is, and you know, we're going to mention some actors. I'm going to get up the cast list just to not leave anyone out here because you know you're you're absolutely right. So Quincy Isaiah as Magic Johnson. I mean, again, like I was, as I say, I was watching that um, that footage where they interview him for the MVP, and I just been watching Winning Time. It's like they did a really spot on job here. Solomon Hughes as Kareem, um, and uh, then I was going to mention. I presume that you know this. People listening might not know this, but um, you've got Devon Nixon as Norm Nixon. You aware of this? It's his son, right? It's his son. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I mean, so that's the one that kind of stands out. Where if, if you if you didn't realize that before you looked into it, you might you might almost be like, oh my god, how does this guy look exactly like Norm Nixon? Like he looks exactly like Norm. Well, that's his son, so you know. But I mean, the others, yeah, they're just you know doing good casting work. So you know, yeah. shout out to the casting directors on the show. Um, and uh, I know we wanted to talk about some of that too. You know, you had some of the reactions to season one, um, which were largely negative, at least. I mean, you had a few people. Magic didn't seem too happy. Kareem didn't seem too happy. Jerry West threatened a lawsuit. We should jump to, <laughs> jump to um, Jason Clark's Jerry West here. What do you think about Jerry? Jerry West's still alive, yeah. by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's been it's been in the NBA 
you know, since his playing days. I mean, he's still very active in the league and was very outspoken that this was not an accurate representation of who he was. And, you know, he's really portrayed in the show as a, you know, a real jerk. Um, somebody that is a curmudgeon to everything that's going on, have to stick with the old ways, can't win with these new, you know, this new way of doing things. And yeah, the real Jerry West didn't, didn't really take kindly to, to that, I don't think it ever went anywhere. But th- th- yeah. that's that, that's really that, that's a really good, I think, representation of kind of the foil you need in a show like this. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, I want to say a couple of things here. One, yeah, I looked into it. Did this go anywhere? Because he was threatening lawsuits. This was you know back in twenty twenty two, and it looks like it didn't go anywhere. You know, it didn't go beyond him threatening um, some kind of lawsuit. I wonder if. He kept watching the show because I kind of understand why he was mad, particularly at the beginning. You have some scenes in season one where Jerry West is like destroying his office, you know, and things like this. Like he's like he's in total rage. But um, I think it's kind of interesting because I actually find this character to be really endearing. I I, yeah. I like him a lot. Yeah. Jerry Jerry West on the show. I I, um, I like a lot. Yeah, it it does raise this interesting point because obviously we you, you've talked about what Jerry West thought, and he came out publicly. Magic Johnson not necessarily getting behind this. Um, not a lot of players coming to its defense. I want to say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a piece about for how they have misrepresented some of the relationships. Um, so with a show like this, you can't really, I mean, you can't do anything to to take away from the actual games, from the scores, from the stats, from the actual history that's recorded and documented. You can't do anything about that. So those things are largely accurate or or are all accurate, but they have to clearly add some fictionalized drama to this based on what they're hearing was the reality. You know, it's sort of the question I had about, you know, if, if you're, you know, not a, diehard scholar of 1980s NBA basketballs, or what's the best way to watch this to try to, you know, are you watching it more towards, I want to learn about the season and what happened with these teams, or are you looking more towards, well, I want to hear about the story that they're telling, you know, that may be somewhat fictionalized. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because there is that overarching question of how accurate this is. It is based on a book, yeah. which we should mention, I guess, too, uh, Jeff Perlman's book called Showtime. They didn't name the show Showtime because, well, I think for obvious reasons, right? Um, but so, I mean, like, there's at least some claim to journalistic accuracy there, you know. Then I think the show is also taking creative license. And um, that means I don't think it's claiming to be precisely accurate. Like the show itself is not claiming to be um, an accurate representation of, of history. Uh, so trying to circle around to answer your question. I don't know. I mean, I think for me, largely, it is something I enjoy as television. Um, and if I, you know, I thought about re- reading the book, but I haven't bothered to go read the book. What What do you uh, what about your thoughts on this? Yeah, I just thought about sort of the the not tension between the two, but sort of how I'm pulled back and forth. I mean, I've been an NBA fan for a long time, so I know a lot of what's going to happen in terms of the games and the series and the history and the seasons. You know, so they're not going to go through this season and say the Lakers won the 1981 NBA championship. They just didn't, and so they can't. You know, they can't make that happen. And so what they can do though is sort of tell the story of what caused that to not happen or the drama that may or may not have happened behind the scenes when it didn't happen. Um, you know, that's, that's what I'm interested in is there is a, a line of truth fear here that they might sort of circumvent or take some roads around, but they're always hitting back on this story that actually happened. And that's what I find most interesting about it. Um, as long as they say accurate to what, uh, you know, as you said, very, very strong reporting within the within the book that we've we've seen to, to find has a lot of accuracy, a lot of integrity, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, that's what I I found myself constantly thinking. Well, okay, most of these things happened, and then of course certain things. Um, well, we don't know. You know, did did Kareem make Magic bring him orange juice? 
in season one? <laughs> is that a real thing? Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. I say and I think that's probably a real thing. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, maybe he's not real happy about how it's being portrayed, but there's probably a basis in reality there. So, um, but some of this other stuff, you know, like uh, did Jerry Buss get mad and yell at his sons during a game of Monopoly? Right. Who knows? <laughs> like, like, probably yeah. not. You know, they, they, they probably yeah. they probably made that up. I mean, maybe not. I guess I, I don't I don't know for sure. But yeah. you know, I, I think it's interesting as you say what they can do and are doing clearly is making some decisions about how to frame the story in a way that um, I think is interesting. Like what's clear is the second season, I think clearly it's going to lead back to those 1984 NBA finals. And we already get there at the beginning. Pat Riley's giving the speech. He's like, they've won their championship. We've won our championships. We haven't played each other. This is the culmination of the rivalry between the Lakers and the Celtics, which is the big thing the show is playing on. This is they're they're making a choice about how to frame it. You don't you don't have to look at NBA history that way. Certainly, you probably wouldn't look at NBA history that way if you're a 76ers fan, for example, right? Um, (laughs) But uh, so I I think that's interesting. And then I did want to mention going all the way back to season one to, to remind people that we started season one with Magic Johnson. Testing positive for HIV. Remember this? Yeah, yeah, I do. That's right. And they and then they jump back. So I, I mean, it seems relatively clear to me that the same kind of framing move in terms of the series as a whole would be what we would expect. That they probably would ultimately. We don't know if they'll get more seasons or how many more seasons, right? But that the plan seems to be that they would ultimately um, come back around to. 1991, 1992, um, yeah. which is in various ways when everything falls apart. Yeah, I, I think it's a very smart point because they're clearly framing this season that same way that maybe they're framing, as you mentioned, the entire series, right? So we are assuming HBO green lights this thing headed towards 91, 92 when Magic makes this announcement. That's what they started the series with, just as this season clearly is going to go through the 1984 NBA Finals. They started that way. We see that Pat Riley is giving this impassioned speech, as you said. We go back, loop back around to the beginning of, of the season in 80-81. Pat Riley is not even a head coach yet, right? So we know that something happens between then and 84 yeah. that moves Riley into that, that position. So it's kind of a how far do we have to go? What are the points we have to hit along the way to get to this thing that you really want to see, which is finally, finally Celtics versus Lakers? Well, in the coaching stuff, I, I, I don't know. I miss, uh, I will say this, you know, we're, we're about the same age. So it's kind of interesting because this stuff is more in the background. I don't, you know, I was a baby or whatever, you know, it's not like I was watching yeah. the 1981 NBA season or if I was, I was a baby. I don't know very but this history is in the background. I will say in terms of um, learning history from the show, um, prior to watching season one, I really didn't know um, about Jack McKinney very much at all. Oh, Did you? No, not at all. Not at all. And um, that was really striking to me. And uh, I really like Jack McKinney, the character in the TV show. I don't know him in real life. But I find myself yeah. in season two even kind of thinking like, Kind of hope they check in with Jack McKinney. They probably won't because <laughs> he's no longer a part of the Lakers story. And I think right. he went to the Pacers. Is that right? Do you know? I think he went yeah, he did go to the Pacers for a little um, bit. Yeah. So, but th- there's certainly more co- coaching drama. And uh, I can't claim that I know all of the details. Obviously, I could look it up um, with uh, Westfall and um, and Pat Riley. Um, both of those performances, too, I think are great. Siegel and Adrian Brody. I mean, both of them have been good. Yeah, they've been phenomenal. I, I mean, Siegel is this sort of historian, philosophizer, Shakespeare quoter. I, I mean, that's really trying to push something in a very, he's almost like this meek, modest guy trying to push this thing on his team. And we know 
lurking in the background of who Pat Riley becomes, who he is eventually, and sort of this aura that he demands when he finally becomes becomes coach. I just think that they've really played off each other uh, very, very well. And I'm interested to see sort of how they, knowing a little bit about the history of what happened there in the, in the transition between coaches, how they play that off. Because um, something's going to happen probably by the halfway point of the season that shows us what what transpired there. Yeah, and, and Brody in particular to me, anyway. I mean, as someone, Pat Riley's been in my consciousness forever, you know, yeah. practically in, in terms of um, basketball. And um, I think Adrian Brody's performance is really spot on, pretty great. I mean, again, you might think about Pat Riley now, but if you go watch some of that old footage, which I guess I'm recommending to people. It's not super entertaining other than to say like, oh, yeah. wow, we really kind of, he kind of was like that, you know, yeah. in, in 1980. His demeanor, his mannerisms, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're really doing a, a good job of um, of representing that. Um, so if I made you pick one pairing on the show, would you pick Jason Siegel and Adrian Brody or John C. Riley and Michael Chiklis as, as Red Auerbach? I mean, Chickless is great here. <laughs> he is he is he is really really good, right? And um, he's kind of razzing Jerry Buss in the one scene uh, here in the season two premiere about this trade, which we we're going to mention, right? If people yeah. don't know this, I, I don't know how much of the show will even fill this in specifically. This is like an infamous NBA trade. Uh, where the Celtics traded, I think it was their, it was the number one overall pick. And then I think it was also like pick 13. And in exchange, they got pick three and Robert Parrish. Yeah. Right? And then with pick three, they took McHale. Kevin McHale, yeah. University of Minnesota, yeah. So you have in this one, and we only know this in retrospect, you know, the show kind of plays it like Arbach knows it at the time, which he's right. being cocky because he doesn't really, you know. <laughs> but in retrospect, we know that Boston managed to get two Hall of Fame players in this trade. Um, yeah. And the number one pick, Joe Barry Carroll, we were talking about before we started recording, you know, eminently respectable NBA career. I was looking at the stats. You know, yeah. he he would he would average something like uh, eighteen to twenty points, seven or eight rebounds. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I that's mean, a good. He's a that's a good player. Right? Yeah, I mean, fine, fine guard, good, good teammate. But yeah, to have the most uh, to trade him for the most dominant front court in the nineteen eighties was, I mean, it's just a no brainer. Yeah, because this sets up the. Um, I mean, I guess this is the original big three of the Celtics. Is that fair? There wasn't a, there wasn't a Celtics big three before this big three. Is that yeah, correct? That's right. There's I, a Celtics big three after this big three, but okay. Um, yeah. Of Bird, McHale, and Terry. I wonder how much we'll see of that. The show very much tends to take the Lakers' perspective. So yeah. You know, I, I mean, I do hope at least an episode, if not more than that, and, and, and in further seasons, I imagine we'll see even more. But I hope at least an episode is the '84 Finals, the first time oh, these sure. two teams meet in the final. See who McHale is, who Parrish is. We've seen Bird; he's this cocky, you know, Indiana asshole who just loves to to get under people's skin. I mean, exactly who he was. Uh, so yeah, I, I hope we get to see a, a good bit of. Of of who these these Celtics players are and the dynamic between yeah. the two, it's going to be at least I, an episode, but not more. I'd love to hear Larry Bird, the real Larry Bird, react to his portrayal of the show. Also, he might just not, <laughs> yeah. given, you know, being Larry Bird. Um, but I did really enjoy how in season one, although they portrayed him in this way, they also got in there um, his his real respect for Magic. You know, yeah, they, they had that he's sitting there watching the finals. He's like, mm, this, is, yeah. this is great basketball going on here. And, you know, so I wonder where it'll go. Like you were mentioning to me that um, we're going to end in 1984. Well, you have Michael yeah. Jordan being drafted in 1984, in the summer of 1984. Do you think Jordan's going to show up in this season? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I wondered, maybe this is me seeing one too many you know, MCU movies, but I wonder if there's like, you know, an end season end credit or something <laughs> that uh, shows Michael Jordan, you know, coming on the draft stage. They've already in the first episode in the premiere, they had kind of on in the background, a TV that showed Isaiah Thomas, a commentator talking about James Worthy at North Carolina, talking about Sam Perkins, all these guys who would be in a league within a couple of years. I, I just think if you're, if you're ending a season at the end of the 1984 season in that finals. And then what, two weeks later, Michael Jordan is drafted. There's going to be something that segues into, yeah. all right, this is coming next time. This, uh, this guy was about to revolutionize the league. Well, so I think it'd be interesting. Now you've got me thinking if it is almost like a post credits tag, yeah. they might just use real footage because the there biggest reason I don't think Michael Jordan will be in this season is I, I, I would be really stunned if they cast him already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, I mean, is it going to be renewed for season three? Is it going to be renewed for season four? What's the overall yeah. plan? You know, I think we can speculate. I was starting to do this earlier. I think we can speculate that their plan is to end right there around 1991. I mean, there have been some people who have um, speculated that they couldn't further seasons, uh, go to the Kobe Shaq era and things like this. I mean, I guess they could if you want to keep this thing going. Um, but in terms of this original arc, it seems pretty clear that it will end. Yeah. I, I mean, to your point earlier, there's such a finality around that time. Magic's HIV announcement. Bird, I think, in 92 has to end his career because of back injuries. That This time is really both uh, rightly so. You know, and, and obviously Magic comes back a couple years later for, for a few games, but but uh, they end their careers almost almost simultaneously. I mean, it's just it seems like the the, written, the ending's already written itself if they want to do it that way. Yeah. Well, and the Pistons too. I mean, I so yeah. I wonder, presuming there's a season three, how much are the Detroit Pistons in? Yeah. Because meaningfully, in the latter half of the '80s, I mean, you also you basically get a Pistons Lakers rivalry. Yeah. Um, you know the the, the Pistons. And this ties back, you're, you know, asked me about growing up in Detroit. They won two championships in a row. Right. And they were, then they were going for a third one. And everywhere, at least in Detroit, I realize this is probably not national. Everywhere they were playing this three-peat beat song. Have you heard this song? Has anyone heard <laughs> no. it? No, like no, this, no. This, like, I don't know, hip-hop song. And they were playing, it was like one of the three-peat beat, you know. <laughs> um, spoiler for basketball history they did not three-peat no they did not. <laughs> but that's they why you do this to show the Bulls. right that's why you do this show centered around the lakers because after 1987 the celtics are basically out of the picture at least in terms of the nba finals are concerned and so then you can go into this whole this whole period where the lakers and the Pistons, I mean, just hated each other. You had this 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 camaraderie between Magic and Isaiah Thomas, this kissing cousins thing that they were always known as. But man, they just hated each other, and that's going to make for a fantastic season. I mean, I really, that. I really do. Give me the bad boy Pistons on here. Come on, oh, yeah, do it, oh, yeah. HBO. Give us the bad boys. Give <laughs> us the Pistons. But but then you know, in terms of the time frame. It was really striking me. I was double checking some of this stuff instead of just working from memory. So Detroit does not three-peat. They lose to the Bulls. Yeah. Who win the championship. And then basically, no more Lakers, no more Celtics, no more Pistons. It's Michael Jordan time. But it, yeah. it's really like you meant because you mentioned some stuff about the other teams, but the Pistons too, they fell apart after yep. that failed three peat. Um, I'd have to double check some of the details, but I think like Vinny Johnson left, and yeah, uh, but the team the team falls apart. Uh, Chuck Daly retires, uh, after another year or two, and then it's like all of a sudden they're in the bottom half of the league, and yeah. Grant Hill's the only player you've ever heard of, you know. <laughs> so, um, it's really striking to think about, and that you mentioned that Bird retired. All of that happens right at the same time, which I, which I guess I hardly realized having lived through it. 
that yeah. it wasn't just that Jordan entered the league and took over, but the old guard all kind of went away at the same time too. Yep, yep, that's that's one hundred percent right. That you know these tragic things happen to Magic and to Bird. The Pistons dissolve. Uh, the Blazers with Clyde Drexler never became who people thought they would be, and it just becomes. I mean, except for his retirement years, it becomes the Michael Jordan story for for eight straight years at that point. Yeah, well, Blazers were still in the mix. Blazers, yeah. the, the Trail Blazers never get enough respect. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but this has just been a great show so far. I mean, especially through one season, one episode, because you get to kind of revisit these things that you know that we love, revisit these stories that are so interesting, and see them in in, in a fresh take, no matter how fictionalized or real it may be. It's just been it's just been fascinating to see how they're telling this this story about something that, that you and I clearly both both love so much. So you mind if I ask you one more question here before uh, before we wrap sure. up? Yes. Go. All right. So we've we've recently talked about one show. We talked about all three seasons of Righteous Gemstones. We've just we're now talking about winning time. So now we have the system built by Paul Westfall. And we have the system built by Amber Gemstone. Yeah. Which system are you taking if I give you one? <laughs> which which system? It's funny because it's such a it's such a generic name. <laughs> yeah. like, did Jack McKinney call his thing the system too? He could have. Oh, you know oh no. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know that he branded it in that you, way. Do you want to save your marriage or make some shots? That's what you that's the choice you have you have to make today. That's that's all you get. I think, you know, I, I think, and now I mean. I'm not going to, don't frame it in that way. Let's dig into the details a little bit, right? <laughs> what is the gemstone system, amber system? It's some weird thing like they're putting fake gemstones in a jar yeah. when they have <laughs> negative thoughts about their partner or something like that. Yeah. Eh, okay. The Westfall system is going to be my choice here. We're, we're totally comparing apples and oranges, but I that um the idea here is shoot but yeah. it's more than that right because he's got they don't dig into this fully on the show but he does tell the team they've um kind of analytically figured out where they're good in exactly. terms of taking shots so you know go to your position which is one of these positions we know we're good good from get the ball shoot yeah and yep. um like mathematically statistically this is going to work out um, this is this is the leading edge of advanced nba analytics right the idea of shot charts and where you're good where you're not go to where you're good from if you get the ball in that spot you're shooting and he says you're gonna get benched if you don't do that so yeah take as many shots as you possibly can from your from your spot so yeah that's gonna that's gonna win for me too yeah i mean the novelty of it i mean that was part of it with jack mckinney too which, which i didn't really exactly. know about last season which i thought was fascinating and part of what's interesting about focusing on the lakers here is not just that you have the Lakers dynasty, but the, the revolutionizing of basketball. Uh, and I think this this kind of continues that in a meaningful way with the system. Yeah, I mean, just as a, a parallel, the, the Showtime eventually becomes the Mike D'Antoni seven seconds or less sons to the early 2000s, which eventually becomes, you know, the the three-point revolution that we see here um, in, in the modern NBA. So, yeah, it all ties back to this run and go as fast as you can, shoot as much as you can, Lakers. Yeah, well, that's interesting you mentioned the Suns because they never won anything. Yeah, that's right. That's it, it, right. Didn't, it didn't work for them, right? It didn't work for them. So, they're like, they're, they're a weird middle point of the story, Some somehow bridging the gap between the old Lakers and, the, <laughs> and we were talking the Warriors, probably. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right, man. Well, so, so we should keep it going. We should hit episode two next week, I think. Yeah, I think so. I'll be watching it. This is fun. Hopefully people enjoy listening to us talk about basketball. We're also still talking about TV. Um, and so, yeah, we'll go ahead and pick up with Winning Time Season 2, Episode 2 um, next week. As always, thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, you can follow the site um, tvobsessive.com you, know, you can follow us on uh, Facebook, on Instagram, um, the service formerly known as Twitter. Um, 
You want to plug anything before we go, Ryan? Get in there. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good. You, X you account. Can find us both. Yeah, you can find us both on X. You can find us both of our content on the site, tvobsessive.com. Looking forward to going through this show with everybody. And uh, yeah, this is in our wheelhouse. So I'm looking forward to doing this. Hope you'll join us next time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. All right. See you next time, Ryan.